You don't even like sports. Welcome to You Don't Even Like Sports, a podcast about sports for people who don't like sports. With your hosts, Adam Todd Brown and Jeff May. Jeff, Adam, I have something to tell you. I don't know how to say this. I have a feeling this is an important thing that you're about to say. It is. It's very important. And the thing I'm about to say is you don't even like sports. No, what? No, 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 don't. no. Because that's weird. Because actually I have written down here and you'll see on this piece of paper, you don't even like sports. I can't. So, I can't read. You know that. That's true. You don't even like reading. Right. Um, which is a sport to, for nerds. Uh, I would agree. I would agree. Not one I partake in. No. <laughs> no. What? I'm not nerds. So uh, welcome to You Don't Even Like Sports, everybody. It's a sports, sports podcast for people who don't even like sports, like Jeff. No, I'm, like Adam. I'm, I'm Adam Todd Brown. And you don't like sports. And I'm Jeff May, and I do like sports. And uh, no, welcome to episode two. This is episode two of John Daly season, JD season. Could mean Jack Daniels season two. Uh, and a parallel move yeah yeah would still be the same stories it would be the same exact show but with less golf yeah so when we left off john daly was fresh off of unexpectedly winning the pga championship and overnight he becomes one of the most recognized and beloved figures in golf also one of the most well-paid or as he puts it in the book the cash poured in like a cow pissing on a flat rock. Are we sure he's from Arkansas? That sounds like something a New York liberal elite would say. Yeah. <laughs> something like some writer from the New York Times would write in one of their op-eds. We don't vote the way you do. So, yeah, man. I mean, that makes sense. It makes sense because he's very colorful. Yeah, he's got he's got a lot of personality. He's someone that people wanted to endorse their shit early on yeah let's let this piece of shit sell our fucking polo shirts or whatever he was making good money playing golf but he's getting that endorsement money and he's also getting that hey we'll give you fifty thousand dollars to just come hang out for the weekend and talk to some people about golf that paris hilton money that's the good money that lecture circuit money oof that's the life i have some people that uh they, that they do that they just go around to like schools and shit and they're like, let's talk about bullying. And then they're like, I will take that $8,000, please. That's yeah. Like, Jesus. That is the fucking life. So in early 1992, he signs his first big sponsorship deal with Wilson. It's a 10-year deal that is... Uh, For volleyball? Yeah, yeah. He Also, he's a great kicker, great volleyball player. People don't realize it. This deal is supposed to pay him millions of dollars a year. And naturally, despite all the other things that come with being a famous golfer, like all the money, for example, the thing John Daly says he was most excited about is just John Daly as fuck. Here's a quote from his book. As a rookie, getting free food was maybe the coolest thing. Shit, I'd been playing the mini tours for two years and the Hogan for one. And no matter where you went, you paid. Play golf and all you can eat free? I still get excited just thinking about it. I'm with him. I'm 100% with him on that. It's a nice perk. That's for sure. God, I like cool. free shit, man. I do a lot for free shit. He also talks in the book about all the other free shit he gets, like golf equipment and just everything. 
It's got to be the life. The people who can afford it the most have to the pay the least. That, yeah. yeah. So he said he had two primary areas of concern in 1992, which were making money and drinking. And obviously his golf game suffered as a result. This is a quote. That whole year, I don't think I practiced more than two days in a row. And he's still playing all right. He missed the cut 10 out of his 25 tournaments that year, but he also won the BC Open, so he wasn't playing terrible. Better than most people play golf, but... Yeah, I would say that uh, some people would appreciate that he won uh, hundreds of thousands of dollars. Yeah. He, I think, won 300-some thousand dollars playing golf in 92. And the thing is, he was also drinking a whole lot by 1992. He said he wouldn't drink if he had to golf early the next morning. Like, if he was in a tournament and had an early tee time... He could go without drinking. And I think that's one of the things that contributes to something you see later in the book where he seems to really be in denial about the fact that he's an alcoholic. Yeah, he has that I could quit any time mentality because he doesn't do it. Yeah. Which I it's like you're like, come on, man, you clearly are. But at the same time, I, you know, I guess if he can get away from it when he feels he needs to. It's a it's it's a very double sided coin here. Yeah, I actually had a a friend who was big into AA describe alcoholism to me as that once, where they were like, "Well, if you don't want to drink, can you not drink?" And they were like, "If so, you're not an alcoholic." And I don't know if I buy that because it's also how many days in a row like that can you string together? I mean. I guess it probably has. I mean, obviously, I, I'm not a part of the program, and you know, I've done a 12 questions. That's the the max I've been in a situation like that. But like, it does seem like there's a difference between having a drinking problem and being an alcoholic. And so, I, I guess what he is eventually going to be saying is like, no, I have a problem. I'm not saying that. I just don't know if I'm a textbook alcoholic. Yeah, he's like he, a recreational alcoholic. But no, he's not. Like, he drinks more than most. Like, at one point, he's drinking a fifth of whiskey a day. That's not... Even if you don't keep doing that every day for the rest of your life, that's alcoholic behavior, 100%. Like, a fifth of whiskey a day is so much. He's an alcoholic. He's out of his fucking mind if he thinks he's not an alcoholic. And this book comes out two years before one of his most famous drunken incidents. So... Famous. Very famous. Famous. This incident got uh, a spot on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. (laughs) This is a quote about his drinking. If I missed a cut or had a blow up round on Saturday or Sunday, it was like, hey, let's see how fast I can get shit faced. I drank mostly when I was mad at myself for the way I was playing. And in 1992 and 1993, that was most of the time. So he's it's one of those things like like how drinking and depression are linked the best buds well yeah and i think there's like i've done it myself there's sometimes if you're self-medicating there's a tendency to drink because you're depressed and the problem is alcohol is a depressant so it's just going to make you more depressed and you're not really going to get a handle on how you're actually feeling until you've stopped drinking and it seems like the same thing here he's like well i'm drinking a bunch because i'm 
not playing golf that well. And it's like, well, are you not playing golf that well because you're drinking so much? Do you not see the circle, John? (laughs) I work so I can buy more cocaine, so I can work more. Yeah, my hands look like this, so my nose can look like this. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, my hands look like this, so my liver can look like this. (laughs) And on top of not playing that well and drinking too much, there's a a huge thing that happens in John Daly's life in 1992 that has kind of stuck with him the entire time since then. Here's what happened according to his version of events. In August of that year, he bought a house in Colorado next to a golf course called Castle Pines. And he and his wife at the time, Betty, were having lots of problems in their marriage. And they made this move to Colorado to get a fresh start and hopefully patch things up. That did not happen. Instead, they fought for most of the first few months. John leaves and goes back to Arkansas for a while. And Betty convinces him to come back for Christmas so they can all spend Christmas together. And on December 19th, they decide to have a Christmas party with a dozen or so of John and Betty's friends, including Chicago Bears legend Dan Hampton, one of my favorite Bears players when I was a kid. Classic. And at one point, Dan Hampton and his fiance Julia, and John Daly all get up and start dancing around and having a good time. And Betty comes downstairs and is sees this and is very angry. And she yells at John, why don't you just go fuck her? And John's... And he's like, is that like a... Can I do that? Is that an option? I, is that a... Yeah, yeah. Like, are you suggesting it because you want that <laughs> or are you being sarcastic? And... John's very upset by this. He's like, that's Dan's fiance. We're just having fun. Calm down. And she does not calm down. She keeps screaming at everyone about how this is her house and people need to watch themselves. So Dan and Julia go upstairs. Is she really? She's just like, everyone wants to fuck my husband. Because like, I don't know. That's probably not true. I know that I know that there are star fuckers out there, but. Yeah, he's probably not friends with a bunch of them. Correct. Especially not Dan Hampton's fiance. Like, Dan Hampton would murder you with his bare hands. He sure would. Da- Dan Hampton. <laughs> I don't get it. Because he murdered his bare hands. So, eventually, Dan Hampton and his fiance go upstairs. Betty goes back up to her room. And that leaves John downstairs just still very angry. And here's a quote from John Daly about what happened next. What I did was I destroyed my house. It's a very succinct and poignant way to describe what happens. That is an accurate description for sure. He's punching holes in the wall. He's kicking televisions in. He's smashing up trophy cases. Don't be a TV around John Daly. I mean, we've learned that. It's a dangerous proposition being John Daly's television, probably still to this day. They're so much easier now. Oh, so, yeah. You could just throw one nowadays. Yeah. I bet you could punch one now and it wouldn't do too much damage gonna, to your hand. He's going to like powerbomb. He's going to do like like wrestling moves to them now. And they're so cheap, too. You can just buy, have them on hand so you can oh destroy my God, he's one probably when got you need just to. A garage full of, of flat screens in the back. Yeah. And cheap to us is different than cheap to him. They're probably oh, yeah. like the... $2,000 kinds. A Costco membership will get you going if you're John Daly. Hell yeah. And so this turns into a big thing where he's basically destroying the house. And Betty comes downstairs 
and sees this and she yells at him to stop and he doesn't stop and he walks past her at one point and this is the part that is a point of contention. John Daly says he walked past her and they bumped into each other and she got pushed into a wall. The story that came out in the press and it's not even clear if Betty is the one who said this but the story then was more he pushed her into a wall, mm-hmm. which is bad. You shouldn't do that to people. Yeah, definitely preferable to punching someone into a wall or shooting someone into a wall, but still a bad thing. The story hits the news and it's the all the headlines are John Daly is a, a wife beater and he ends up getting arrested for it. But it is worth noting that before he was finally arrested, his wife issued this statement. I was not struck or physically injured in the incident. I neither reported the incident nor requested the sheriff's department to intervene. True. So, so that there, being said, sometimes those statements are given by people who are abused. Well, yeah, of course. But she is not the one who called the police. It was someone Let's, who was still at the party. We've got a special guest, Dan Hampton, here to tell us what happened. That was actually one of John Daly's points when defending himself. He was like, Dan Hampton would have beat the shit out of me if I was yeah. there punching women. And even then, it's like, I don't know, maybe Dan Hampton punches women. Maybe he was like, man, you need to go punch that broad. Like, yeah. who knows? But this incident obviously puts a stain on John Daly's reputation early on in his career. And his his already, his previously pristine reputation. Yeah, he's making such a good impression so far. And now he's got to go mess it up. So he's on super thin ice going into the 1993 PGA season. And he didn't do himself a ton of favors that year either. His first act up happens in July of that year at an event called the Fred Meyer Challenge. And this is one of my favorite John Daly stories that I have come across so far. It's less of a golf tournament and more like a skills challenge, I guess. And John Daly obviously is there to dazzle the crowd with his driving ability and to hit the ball further than anyone else can hit it. Because especially in that setting, you don't have to worry about where the pin is. You can just fucking smash it. it. And so he goes out to hit this shot. And instead of setting up in the traditional way, he sets up facing the crowd like he's about to fire a golf ball at hundreds of miles an hour right into this crowd. And he's like stretching and like waving to the crowd and like all indications he's going to cute little bit. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Like a funny little thing. And uh, he said people were probably assuming it was going to be like one of those exploding golf balls or something like a little trick thing. But no, he (laughs) tees up this shot and sure enough, fires a golf ball in the direction of the stands. And it went over the stands. He wasn't actually trying to hit everyone. And (laughs) this is a quote. I think everybody thought it was going to be one of those fake exploding balls. It wasn't. It was one of my John Daly Wilson staff signature babies. And I caught it good. I cleared the stands by a good 50 feet. Splitting the uprights. He said that because a guy stood up and did goalpost arms when he was, like, trying to convince people he was going to hit the ball in that direction. Ended up in the parking lot about 300 yards away. People went nuts. They loved it. 
You know who probably didn't love it? It's the guy whose Toyota Tercel now has a John Daly Wilson staff signature baby <laughs> embedded into the fucking windshield. Yeah, but if you knew what ball it was and you could prove it, resale value on that, astronaut. Take that like to Pond It's like catching a Bonds number 70. Yeah. Or you're number 71. A, you're going to get a good $1,200 out of that from a televised pawn shop show. So the other entity that did not love this was the PGA. They fined him $30,000 for this. It's, In daily it's, terms, that's nine hands of blackjack. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he put people's lives at risk or put people's safety at risk. I mean, I'm, I bet you could die from a well-placed golf ball to the temple. From though. a daily shot to the eye? Probably, yeah. 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 And for the record, he was never trying to or thought he was going to injure anyone. But also, this is a... I guess, I guess you have to expect it, but in the book, that's what a lot of it is, is him talking about all of the sometimes awful shit he's done and then being like, but hear me out. Here's what really happened. And you got to kind of decide for yourself if you want to take his word for it or not. <laughs> the Colorado incident is probably the biggest bridge in that regard that there is to cross. This one, I buy his argument. He obviously wasn't trying to hurt anyone. This is a quote from him. Looking back, I can see that maybe it was not the smartest thing to do. But honest God, I hadn't cold cocked a line drive off the tee since I was 15 years old. There wasn't a chance in hell I was going to hurt anybody. I was just trying to show them a good time. And I believe him. Yeah, but that's like letting your kids sit on the roof while you drive the car. Oh, yeah, so no. I just wanted to show the kid a good time. It's like, yeah, but you're not really. That's not the point. Well, that's why his statement starts with looking back. I can see that maybe it was not the smartest thing to do. Mm. He's not like trying to justify why it was cool and no one should have been mad. Which it was cool. It was super fucking cool. And I buy his argument because I don't think people understand what kind of control a professional golfer has over a golf ball. There was a commercial once upon a time where Tiger Woods was bouncing a golf ball off the end of his club and then he flips it up in the air and hits a drive shot before the ball hits the ground and when that commercial came out a lot of people were like okay that's obviously fake but if you go out on youtube not only can tiger woods do it a whole lot of golfers can do that it Mm. it turns out it's a thing like once you hit a professional golfer level, you can just control a golf ball the way a, a really good soccer player can control a soccer ball with or his feet. Hockey players, when you see them do the, the weird shit with the puck and the and the blade on the stick, and you're just yeah. like, Jesus. Yeah. So I believe that John Daly was pretty confident he wasn't going to injure anyone by pulling this stunt, but also not the best idea. What's crazy is that stunt obviously put people in danger. So you would think, as far as punishment goes, that's going to be the thing he did that would maybe get him the biggest punishment. But no, his biggest transgression happens next. And it has the distinction of sounding way less serious while also being way more serious in terms of his standing with the PGA. Here's what he did, people. He picked up his golf ball without putting through the hole, right? I I know. I mean, with professional sports, they have all these certain rules and regulations that you just can't violate or else it destroys the, quote, integrity of the game. 
So, like, what you would do normally on a course is very different. Yeah, I mean, he obviously broke the rules. I'm not, I'm not saying gasp because I think it's crazy that he got punished. I just feel like most people would hear that and go, well, so what? Because, like, if you break a rule during a football game or a baseball game, as long as it's not you, like, trying to kill someone, there's usually just a penalty. John Daly got suspended indefinitely for this. That's weird. Like, how do you penalize somebody in golf? You know, like, what do you do? But that's such a weird thing. Do they? Did, well, there is. Be, there's a there, very specific penalty. You get strokes added to your score. This really does, and you hate to say it, but it really does parallel help Happy Gilmore with like the railroading kind of stuff that you're going to receive. Yeah, and what happened is there are some tournaments called pro ams, which is pros and amateurs in the same tournament. And apparently there are some of those events where, let's get into some golf rules again. When you play golf in a tournament, you're paired up with someone else. And you have to figure out a way to decide who hits the ball first on each hole and then on each subsequent shot from there on. Once you get past the first tee, I don't know how they fucking decide that, wrestling or something the night before. Yeah. Yeah, who cares? But... Beyond that, every hole after that, whoever played the hole best last hole, they get to hit first on the next hole. So whoever wins each round gets to hit first. From there, there's this weird rule where whoever's ball is furthest away from the hole after each shot, that person gets to go first. So if your ball is two inches from the hole and someone else's is 10 feet, you have to pick up your ball and basically mark where it is and then let that person putt and then you go knock your bullshit two inch putt back in what a lot of people will do and it's sanctioned in some pro-am events is no one expects that you're going to miss a two inch putt although john daly did miss a two foot putt to lose to tiger woods once so no one expects you're going to miss that putt so you can just pick up your ball and go to the next hole they don't make you go through the formality of hitting that putt And John Daly says that he just got confused and thought he was playing at one of those pro-am events where you're allowed to do that. So he picked up his ball and went off to the next shot and hit his tee shot before someone came up and was like, what are you doing? You have to keep score this round. This isn't one of those amateur events. And for that, he got suspended indefinitely by the PGA, Mm, which I don't like that. He did bring up a good point. He's done several things that were worse than this. But also, I think with John Daly or with any professional athlete who gets in trouble like this, there comes a point where the thing you got suspended for is actually just a suspension for the accumulation of things you've done. Like eventually people just get tired of it. It's like when they give someone an apology Oscar. For blowing it, yeah. Year. You know, like they're like, all right, well, you get it for this one now. Yeah, like he probably deserved the suspension for hitting the ball in the direction of spectators, but he got it for this because clearly the PGA was just like, all right, what is wrong with you? So he says the thing that bothered him the most about this is that the PGA in their statement said he'd been advised to seek counseling, and that made people think he was drinking again. Because one of the outcomes from that Colorado incident with his wife 
was that he ended up pleading to a lesser charge of harassment. And he got, I think, two years probation. But also the PGA was like, all right, we can either cut you from the tour forever or you can just leave voluntarily and go check into rehab. So he checked into rehab in 1993 and it apparently worked. He was not drinking when this incident happened. He was actually two years sober by that point. Good so, for him. Yeah, good for him. Maybe he's not an alcoholic after all. This kind of means he's an asshole, really. <laughs> like, yeah, and that's the thing. Like he, When he was not drinking, he was taking all these antidepressants. And he was like, I'm not depressed. I just drink too much. So I'm taking antidepressants, and they're making me more de- depressed. And they're making me all moody and edgy. Again, he's got an excuse for everything. But yeah. This was the mid-90s, too. So they were probably just like, have you tried Oxycontin? <laughs> exactly, yeah. Have you smoked fentanyl? Don't smoke fentanyl. Don't tell me what to do. Yeah, that's true. So you're an adult. So his suspension is lifted in March 1994. But other than a win at the Bell South Classic, everyone knows the Bell South Classic, his season is mostly unimpressive. Uh, Despite being sober, these antidepressants he's taking, he says, are making him feel like trash. And he also picked up a couple new vices to replace the booze. Chocolate and gambling. Now you're talking daddy's talk right now. First off, he did not pick up gambling as (laughs) as a new thing. He was... Yeah. He just revisited an old flame. Yeah, he'd been gambling. It's just this is the point where it really becomes a problem. But all, the chocolate is crazier to me. Like, I'm familiar with gambling addiction. I've heard of gambling addiction. I've known people who had gambling addictions. But chocolate addiction, you, you hear that and you're just like, okay, what do you mean chocolate addiction? You like, oh, you like sweets. But John Daly was addicted to chocolate. Here's a quote. There were times after I'd stopped drinking J.D., Jack Daniels, when I'd get a sugar craving so bad at night in my hotel room that I'd call down and have them open up the gift shop and send me all the M&Ms they had. He says there was a point where he'd sometimes eat 10 to 15 packs of M&Ms during one round of golf. So that is a pack of peanut M&Ms roughly every one and a half holes. Hell yeah, man. That's a lot. I support this. That is a lot of peanut M&M's, man. I mean, it's an acceptable amount, Adam. I mean, if you can... For me specifically, I guess. It could just be me being jealous, because I feel like I could not put away 10 to 15 bags of you're peanut not, M&M's in that short amount You're not an elite athlete at peak performance the way John Daly was yeah. in 1994. Yeah, it's just like people say, oh, NASCAR, you're just turning left. Same thing with John Daly. Oh, you're just eating 10 to 15 bags of peanuts? Yeah. I could do that. No, you can't. Takes years of conditioning and training. Reach yeah, that point. you got to be elite. You got to spend time with Hulk Hogan. You got to go to South Africa. You got to do it for ten thousand hours. Ten thousand hours of eating M and M's. I got to be honest <laughs> with you. I think I got that. Ten to fifteen bags an hour for ten thousand hours. That's how you become John Daly. Yeah. Now he can't be in the Olympics for it though, which is a problem. Right. They they test for chocolate in the Olympics. Maybe they should. It's got caffeine in it. It's got performance boosters. But this is a thing. This is, it's, this is called cross addiction. And it's exactly what it sounds like. An addict will give up one thing. And then whether they do it consciously or not, they will fall into another thing as a substitute addiction. There was a point where I quit 
drinking for a while, and uh, I was also eating a pint of ice cream a night, or at least like four or five nights a now week. Now think about how many bags of M&Ms would fit in that pint. Exactly. More than you'd think. Well, I've always been more of a like a heat challenge guy and not a quantity challenge guy when it comes to food challenges. See, I'm a quantity guy. Yeah, see, not me. 10 to 15 bags of M&Ms, that's too much. My stomach, it doesn't stretch like that anymore. So he also didn't just replace the booze with chocolate. As mentioned, he also replaced it with gambling. He says after he left rehab in 93, that's when the gambling really, really became a problem. So much so that by the end of 1994, he'd won $340,000 playing golf and lost around $4 million gambling at casinos. Yeah, but how much did he win gambling at casinos? It sounds like he won nothing. Sounds a negative like $4 million? Came home, yeah, yeah. sounds like he came home with negative $4 million, That sounds about right, though. That hurts. You know, those new slot machines are so fun. One of the things, uh, I don't know if it's going to come up later, but one of his gambling benders at one point involves him losing something like a million dollars on a $5,000 slot machine at the Wynn Hotel Casino. That's not real. A $5,000 slot machine? <laughs> Where is that? The basement? The Wynn Casino, I guess. Not Wynn like that, though. W-Y-N-N. Good buffet. Oh. Really good buffet. Famous. Famous. So by the end of 1994, it's pretty clear John Daly is not living up to the promise he showed when he came out of nowhere to dominate the PGA Championship in 1991. He'd won a few tour events since then, but no more majors. He'd been suspended by that point. He also pissed off a huge swath of the professional golf community when he did an interview and his substance abuse issues came up and he says, look, if they tested for cocaine on the PGA Tour, I would be one of the cleanest guys out there. And the rest of the golfers, no one likes a narc, man. That's like when they talked about greenies. Exactly. Don't tell anybody. Yeah, that... The Jose Canseco steroid scandal is the more popular one, but I think we brought up on this podcast before that that same thing happened in the 70s. A guy wrote a book about how baseball, it was just tradition that you'd take amphetamines before a day game if you had a night game the, uh, the night the, before. In the, um, the 30 for 30 about the Mets, they talk about how, the access to greenies that existed and amphetamines, and it was just like... The, the equipment manager just had like a jar of them in a locker. And all you had to do was just go and ask for them. Jeff, are you saying the 86 Mets were taking stimulants? Can, you, can, can I be honest with you? The 86 Mets were taking everything except Gary Carter. <laughs> what a fuck. That would that's as someone who has been the sober person on a party bus. I can imagine what Gary Carter went through that season with the 86 Mets. Can you imagine? Because he's such a straight-laced guy, and meanwhile, Keith Hernandez is fucking doing rails of cocaine off Dwight Gooden's dick. Man, 80s New York, baby. Still one of my favorite baseball pictures, Keith Hernandez in the dugout of a Mets game just fucking smoking. Hell yeah. It's the best. Elite athletes. That's where you see it, too. Like, you can see that John Daly type of character in baseball. That's why we talked about David Wells on the first episode. Because baseball, it's a sport. You have to have some athletic ability. But depending on the position, yeah, like if you're there's there's a famous quote from John Cruck, who was also 
big sloppy fat guy that played baseball. And I think a reporter saw him smoking in the dugout. And she was like, as a professional athlete, do you think smoking in the dugout is a good message to send kids? And he goes, I'm not an athlete lady. I'm a baseball player. Yeah. I mean, that's fair. It is. You it see, is different. When you see some of these guys and they're just professional hitters and, and, and uh, or pitchers and you're just like, you don't have to really do anything other than be good at the one thing you got to do. Yeah. Imagine being a relief pitcher, like a closer. Imagine showing up to a job interview and they're like, can you do this job? And you're like, yeah, for about 10 minutes a day, like 10, 15 yeah, minutes. 10 to 20 minutes. Yeah, total. Yeah. If you if you just need me for that, then I'm I'm here. And they're like, you are hired. Yeah. We're going to put you in the Hall of Fame. <laughs> that is the life. Relief pitcher or designated hitter. Either one of those, you are living the goddamn dream, baby. Uh, give me a Mariano Rivera or a David Ortiz existence and I'll be happy about it. Yeah. Just be beloved by an entire city because you just make people happy at the end of a game. Yeah. David Ortiz could have done his job from a wheelchair. It's fucking amazing. That would be so the great. best job. The fact that he got into the Hall of Fame and people were complaining about it. And it's like, he's very likable. He's very likable. And that probably went a long way toward that. The reason people yeah. are complaining is because Barry Bonds, didn't Roger Clemens, and A-Rod didn't get in because of the steroid stuff. David Ortiz tested positive for steroids. Oh. It just happened before the steroid scandal. Yeah, and he's also uh, very happy. And he also got shot and survived recently, so you got to yeah. put him in the Hall of Fame and for that. He, he also said, this is our fucking city, man, on live TV after the bombing. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And take you a long way. Yeah, cussing on live TV, that, that scores you some points. Instant Hoff introduction. Induction. So there was also an incident at the PGA Tour's NEC World Series of Golf where for some reason John Daly just kept hitting shots in the direction of the group playing ahead of him. That's another thing in golf. Sometimes you play in groups of four, and if the people ahead of you are not that good, you're going to run into a point where you're trying to play this hole, and they're still there, and you just have to sort of stand and wait. That's why you yell four. Well, that's you, what that's for, is to, so you don't hit the people that are coming. Right. Well, I mean, the standard practice is you wait until people leave like you yell you're supposed to yell for technically in general but if the ball is going towards someone you yell for but you don't when someone's still on the green ahead of you you're supposed to not tee off until they're done and what john daly was doing was he was just hitting balls at this group ahead of him while he was waiting for him which is funny it's it's funny it's a funny thing to see unless one of the golfers that he's hitting balls at is your son which uh in this case one of the balls john daly hit almost hit a professional golfer named jeff roth and jeff roth's dad happened to be in the crowd very close to john daly and they end up getting in a fight wrestle each other to the ground and it, spectators have to jump in and break up the scuffle between objectively John. funny it is very funny i love it so much like your dad has to throw down for you yeah that's the, i bet that golfer was like dad come on he's probably walking back there to kick john daly's ass himself might be tough man john daly probably fights like butterbean oh john daly would hit you with his driver for sure like he'd be too drunk and would just black out i bet he punches like a fucker oh yeah 
Like, if he can put that much weight behind swinging a golf club, he can put it behind punching you in the goddamn eye socket, too. Yeah, that's what I'm telling you. He probably throws a punch like Butterbean, just crippling dudes. That's who we should do on an episode someday is Butterbean. Yeah, yeah. And if we ever do, like, another episode about individual events, we should talk about that time Rudy Tomjanovich got punched in the fucking eye during an old-timey basketball game. And uh, he almost died. Like, he got his eye socket broken. That's why I thought of it. He got his eye socket broken. And I just said eye socket. That's how podcasting works, people. Write that down. Write that it is, down. That is game. Game is to be told and not sold, apparently. So because of all this, for all these reasons and more, people are starting to assume John Daly is on his way to just sort of fizzling out and not really living up to his promise. It happens sometimes. Joe yeah. Charbonneau won a Rookie of the Year award in Major League Baseball. You know, Joe Charbonneau. Remember Brian Taylor? Yeah, exactly. Brian Taylor was uh, supposed to be the greatest pitcher in Major League Baseball history until he got into a bar fight defending his brother. <laughs> That'll do it. That'll Never do it every time. Fucking failure to launch on that dude. So one golf writer around this time writes in an article near, 19, near the end of 1994 that, quote, John Daly used to be a contender. Now he's just a curiosity, end quote. And uh, John Daly was hurt by all this. He says he was hurt, but also that he couldn't argue with it because yeah, he's like, oh, people yeah, were right. Facts are facts, bro. Yeah. And he says the only thing he really could do is prove everyone wrong. And that's when it happens. The 1995 British Open. This is uh, another example of John Daly just crawling out of the out of the shit to just come out of nowhere. Pulling himself out of the shit. And win his second major tournament. It was that year held at St. Andrews, which is a super historic golf course. If you're unfamiliar, golf invented in Scotland. And St. Andrews is a golf course in Scotland. It's pronounced Standrews. I'm reading it. <laughs> so nice try. Well, the official name is the Royal and Ancient Golf Club of St. Andrews. Standrews. <clears throat> but they also call it the home of golf. So... It is a, it is an esteemed course. And so John, that kind of makes it seem extra evil, right? Yeah. The ancient part, especially when they're just like, oh, it's like, oh, how many, how many surfs did you kill to make this fucking golf course? Yeah. There's going to be a ritual where you're worshiping an owl at some point when you're at the ancient and royal St. Andrew's golf course. But, uh, John Daly rolls into the 95 British open, uh, feeling like shit. He's playing you know like, he felt shit. like shit. Where's all the McDonald's? Exactly. It's hard, hard to get to. Probably not a ton of them there. So he's withdrawing from Big Macs. It's different because it's real meat. Yeah, yeah. The whole there's, thing, it's just. There's salt in the food. That's going to. Well, there's no salt in the food, is yeah. what I mean in England. <laughs> They're just boiled. Their burgers are all just boiled. Ugh. I worked at Burger King in, uh, a, a, a long time ago, obviously, and the broiler broke down. And we didn't tell people, but we started deep frying Whoppers. <laughs> and here's the thing. They were still very good. I bet that's tasty as shit. <laughs> it was delicious. Order your Whopper deep fried next time you're at Burger King. See if they go for it. And then ball it up. <laughs> so he rolls into the 95 British Open just confident as shit for some reason. Even though he's he feels like trash, he's playing terrible, he's got all these personal problems 
Things are bad with his wife. He's been in and out of rehab. He, he feels like shit. The only thing is he's not drinking still. So that's good. But he also, for some reason, is super confident when he gets there. So much so that he tells a friend upon arriving, buddy, I own this place. I love it. I've never felt more comfortable on a golf course in my life. This is my home. How shocking must that have been to the ghosts of old men wearing black overcoats and top hats <laughs> to see this walking para Oakleys be like, bro, I fucking own this bitch. Yeah, this place is so haunted. Heavens. <laughs> it's got to be so haunted. And the thing about this course, it is a difficult course. It's very lots of hills and lots of uh, things that can trip a golfer up. But it also lends itself really well to the way John Daly plays, because, again, he's that player that will just hit over all of that instead of doing what people normally do and trying to navigate through it all. So he gets to St. Andrews. He's played there before. He's like, man, I always play well here. Uh, and he, he, he just feels unusually confident about it. He knew it was coming, man. This is what he says about it in his autobiography. Going into the 1995 British Open, I was a train wreck. And yet somehow I felt pretty good about my chances. No, I felt really good about my chances. And one last quote. This one's kind of sweet. The happiest four days of my life in golf were the four days of the 1995 British Open. Oh, oh, he's which, feeling it. Yeah, that's actually kind of sad, too, because he wrote this book in 2006. So happiest days of golf, though. Yeah, I suppose. But still, I like that he added that qualifier because he's like, nah, man, I got kids. Yeah. His happiest day was when he passed out with his eyes open at that Hooters. Can you Damn believe right. I did that, man? First golfer in history to do that. Dreaming, yeah, setting <laughs> records. So he shoots a 67 in the first round and calls it the best round of golf he's ever played or best round of competitive golf he's ever played. He had a solid second round and enters the final round four back from the lead. So he's doing well. And, Why is he doing so well? Uh, What's fueling him, Adam? Uh, he is being fueled, Jeff, by Otis Spunkmeyer chocolate chip muffins. Sign me up. Because of his rabid chocolate addiction, which is legitimately out of control by this point, he is just wrecking Otis Spunkmeyer muffins the entire time he's playing in the British Open. Adam, you ever have an Otis Spunkmeyer chocolate chip muffin? They're pretty good. It's the nectar of the gods, my man. Yeah, I do get it. Don't get me wrong. I do get it. Yeah, he's right to say this. Yeah, this is a quote from him. I'd have four or five for breakfast and then three or four more at the turn. They had a little place back behind the 10th tee. Greg would go get me a bag full and I'd eat them with a Diet Coke and go on to the back nine. And I don't think he means like he would go get me a bag of those small individual, like small fun size muffins where each one is like bite size. I think he means a bag of full size muffins. Give like, me those. I'm jealous. To be honest. You think, yeah, I feel like you could eat four muffins in one sitting. I don't think I could. That's that's a lot. I think people underestimate how much I can put away. Yeah. Like I am a I am a mass of food kind of a guy. I don't like the heat challenges. I don't like pain with my food. Yeah. I 
I'm fine with a heat challenge. I cannot put away a lot of food at one time. I think people would be surprised by how little food I can take in, uh, especially when you, uh, if you're comparing the two of us. Uh, but I just, I can't eat a whole lot. I used to be able to. I used to fucking throw down. I weighed 340 pounds. Of course, I was eating a lot. But as I've lost weight, I've also lost the ability to eat the way I used to. And I also eat super slow, really, really slow. It's Buddy, frustrating. Not me. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'm glad. I'm glad I can't eat like that anymore. I'm like Lucy in that uh, in that candy, the conveyor belt thing. But I just keep eating them all the time. Oh, sure, sure, sure. And that was John Daly too. That's a good visual for John Daly. This is his life at this point is just chocolate flying past his face and him throwing that chocolate in his mouth and also playing golf occasionally and slamming a ball 335 (laughs) yards so he's doing really well in the british open he's pounding otis spunkmeyer muffins and by the time he leaves the green after the 18th hole of the final round he has a one-stroke lead over constantino roca so it seems like uh, constantino roca yeah and going into the 18th hole for roca if he birdies which means one stroke under par. If it's a three-par hole, you get it in the hole in two. That's what birdie means. He and Daly are going to be tied, but he blows it, Jeff. His tee shot is good. He's off to a good start, but then he blows it on his second shot, and it goes into a bunker that they call like the Valley of Sin or something like that at St. Andrews, which is rad Let me tell you, an Italian golfer coming in, and you're like, it's the Valley of Sin. He's like, hey. No problem. <laughs> and I live in the Valley of Sin, huh? So at this point, Roca is 70 feet from the hole, and it's, it, it's over. Like, he's going to have to sink a 70-foot putt to force this tie. And 70 feet's a long way, and we're not talking a flat surface. They're not on an NBA basketball court they're at st andrews so the odds of hitting a 70 foot putt are slim to none so john daly's really excited they're celebrating because he's watching all this backstage or in the green room whatever the fuck they call it at golf tournaments he's watching all this and at this point he thinks he's won and then constantino roca lands a 70 foot putt to tie this tournament. There is a picture out there on the internet that I will try to track down and link to. It's a picture of John Daly and his wife watching this moment as it happened. And the look of horror on their face is worth all the Otis Spunkmeyer muffins in the world. It is just so priceless. I want to go and get those muffins now, though. Yeah, I mean, I could kind of go for a muffin now. That like, I'm not lying. Like, I, I know that we're talking about sports right now, but like, <laughs> I googled this before because I was like, which, which ones are these? Are they the mini ones or the big? And then I was just like, I want one of these. Oh, they're good. <laughs> like, they're the go-to gas station muffin. Yeah, I mean, my gas station food is always going to be individually wrapped pop tarts at the top. Oh, but if I'm in the mood for a t- like a chocolate chocolate chip muffin, oh, Otis, put it in my veins. Tasty stuff. So uh, now they're tied. Now there's John Daly seems like he was about to win the British Open, this huge comeback, reignite his career. And now it seems like it might not happen because now he's got to go do a four hole playoff with Constantino Roca. But it ends up being kind of anti 
climactic. John Daly sort of blows him out in that playoff round. And he ends up winning the British Open for the second time in his career. He just comes from out of nowhere, no expectations for him going into this tournament. And he's like, fuck it, I'm going to win. And he did. And it was a huge moment. Like people did not. There was one guy in the golf media who was like, listen, this is John Daly's kind of course. He could win this thing. And everyone else, it was, I, I remember before the Pistons beat the Lakers in the finals, they were talking to Isaiah Thomas and there were a bunch of other like former players up there with him. And they were like, Isaiah, you think the Pistons can win this? And he was like, of course, Isaiah is going to be like, yeah, yeah. of course. Yeah, and people, yeah. people looked at him like he said the moon landing was faked. Like they were like, what the fuck are you talking about? And the Pistons won. And so there was that one guy who was like, John Daly might win this. And, and everyone's like, no, he won't. There it's is not a spaghetti eating contest. <laughs> He's not going to win this. There's a section in this book called John Daly, the John Daly numbers. And it's just him saying like, one, this is the number of blah, blah, blah. And at one point, it's something like 1.8 million. And that is the amount two gamblers in England won betting that John Daly was going to win the British Open. Damn. And they bet like five grand each. Because That's it, funny. First off, $5,000 betting on golf. That's wild to me. That is. But beyond that, too, it's fun. It's so clear why he would put that in because he just respects a good gamble. Yeah. He also claims before the British Open started, someone came up to him and offered him a million dollars to throw the tournament. And if that happened, that person doesn't know that much about golf. It's not like winning a golf tournament's easy. There's a lot yeah. of people in that field. And players just don't, like, unless you're really, really elite, you're not winning tournaments that often. I so, am. Well, yeah, of course. Of course. Because you're... I'm a big golfer. Yeah. I mean, I compete in podcast tournaments, and I feel like I, I hold my own, you know? My ex-wife was a, a great golfer. Oh, yeah? And I was not. Yeah, I didn't I've, know how to play golf. I did I've, a little bit, but... I've played golf. I like it a lot. I don't think I'm terrible at it, but it's not... I don't have the friendship circle for golf. Yeah. I didn't enjoy it when I played it. First time I ever played, I showed up in sandals and a bathing suit, and my dad was furious. Really? Yeah. He was like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm 17. What do you want from me? Yeah, I guess the, the limited number of times I went golfing, I did like throw on a polo or some shit, try and class it up a little. But yeah, for, I just don't have the time anymore, I guess. But so John Daly wins this tournament and no one saw it coming. And in the hubbub afterward, his sponsors, Wilson and Reebok, both. Oh, I thought you meant his AA sponsors. <laughs> they were, I'm sure they are too. They line up a bunch of photo opportunities and photo shoots for John Daly because no one expected this. Like, this is a big story and people want to talk to John Daly. They want to get pictures of John Daly after this historic kind of comeback win, I guess you could call it. And the problem was the light was, it was getting dark. It was, uh, sun was going down. So they had a limited amount of time to get over there and make this photo shoot happen. And John Daly is hustling over there when he gets a phone call from the president of the United States, Bill Clinton. And clearly that photo shoot is going to have to wait. When the president calls, you take that call. Unless you're John Daly. This is his quote about it. Wilson and Reebok were putting about $4 million a year in my pocket. 
And all Clinton was doing was taking 40% of that away. It didn't take me long to figure out what to do. The flex on Clinton for this whole part is just so... Because you got to remember, too, they're from the same place. Yeah, both from Arkansas. Like, let's not forget that. They're both from Arkansas. And just the shade that he throws at Clinton is so gorgeous. Uh, and I didn't put it in the notes, but he does mention twice in this section that he did not vote for Clinton. He's basically like, he was a nice guy. I talked to him on the phone, but I didn't vote for him. Here's the, here's the one... Uh, sad recent development in John Daly's life that we haven't brought up yet. Trump supporter. Uh Yeah, that's that tracks. There's a zero percent surprise that that is the case. Yeah. So he and Bill Clinton do end up talking on the phone later that night. And John Daly keeps it 100 percent John Daly when they're on the phone. At one point during this conversation, he reminds Bill Clinton that Back when he was still just governor of Arkansas, he and John Daly actually played golf together after one of John Daly's tournaments in Arkansas. And he was like, uh, anyway, during that tournament, you uh, I told you about a speeding ticket I had gotten recently. And you told me that as governor of Arkansas, you would look into it and take care of it for me. And you didn't do that. And now that speeding ticket is costing me $2,000 a year on my insurance. That is wild to me <laughs> financially. Yeah. Like, what is that ticket yeah. that you got a $2,000 a year surcharge on your insurance? Yeah. How fast were well, you going? Were you speeding through a school? Yeah. It had to be something like that. Was there a flash mob happening when you drove 150 miles past? Who knows? But yeah, Bill Clinton said he couldn't do anything about it anymore because he's not governor of Arkansas anymore. It's like, yeah, you're president now. You can just... Can't we invade? Can you invade Arkansas? Something like that? Oh, sorry, man. I can't do it. I'm too busy. You know, you get it. So they do finally talk on the phone. John Daly still didn't vote for Clinton in the next election. And John Daly ends his night after this come from out of nowhere win to to take the British open. He celebrates in true John Daly fashion. Uh, He ends the night eating chocolate ice cream with chocolate sauce. Out of the trophy he got for winning the British Open. Take that, NHL. That is... It's not just the Stanley Cup that can have weird shit happening to it. That is such a perfect ending. Instead of it being filled with Molson, it's being filled with Briars. And that being said, that, to me, when I read that, I was like, that sounds awesome. I mean, I fuck with a chocolate ice cream, that's for sure, if nothing else. With, With the chocolate sauce? Oh, Put it in my veins. Yeah, yeah. Ice cream, My I think ice cream is my favorite sweet treat. That's the whole thing. I know that's not a popular opinion, but that's what I do. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. If- Way to be pretty avant-garde there, <laughs> Adam. So, yeah, that's our episode. Uh, John Daly is not done acting up, not even close. Uh, on the next episode, we're going to get into uh, not only when he starts drinking again, but the time he got so drunk he had to withdraw from... A major golf tournament over it, if you can believe it. Who, who among us hasn't uh, shattered our career because we like Jack Daniels too much? He also loses all of his sponsorships and has to go to rehab for 30 days. And all of that happens in the span of six weeks. So he had a wild 1997. And we're going to talk about that on the next episode. Until then, let's chill, chill. for one thing. And Jeff, do you have anything to plug, you scumbag? 
I have a Patreon. It's patreon.com slash Jeff May, where you can hear early uncensored episodes and bonus content of Jeff Has Cool Friends, as well as the monthly exclusive Ugh Fine podcast with Kim Crawl, as well as more coming. You can also check out Tom and Jeff Watch Batman on the Gamefully Unemployed Network, and you can find me on social media. If you're listening to this, like, and you haven't found me on social media, this is kind of a dick move on your part, I guess. Yeah. And all that. Hey there, Jeff. All that you. stuff Jeff mentioned, you can find at patreon.com slash unpops. No, that's not true. No, it's no Patri- that's not true. Patreon. I thought it was patreon.com. I know, I've seen that address no, it's, somewhere. It's, it's patreon.com slash Jeff but, May. Okay. Okay. Agree to disagree. That's my name. Agree to disagree. Seven letters. Agree to disagree. No, no, no. It's, it's just agree to agree that it's that's my name. And uh, I think that's it. I think we can get out of here. Jeff, please say goodbye. You get the chocolate ice cream with chocolate sauce served in the trophy you get for winning the British Open rookie card, everybody. Goodbye, everybody. We love you.